Hello and welcome to this At Any Rate podcast. I'm Arindam Sandalia from JP Morgan's Global FX Strategy Team. I'm joined by my colleagues James Nelligan in London and Patrick Locke in New York. It's been a packed calendar of central bank meetings in rates and FX space this week, including the uh, FOMC on Wednesday, a super Thursday of European central bank meetings, and a rather closely watched uh, Bank of Japan meeting earlier today, as almost all things out of Japan are these days. Uh, now, the dollar uh, enjoyed another decent week higher. DXY has now broken convincingly above 105. The euro briefly flirted with uh, the low 106s earlier today after a weak set of PMI releases. Um, much of these, of course, owed to rather punchy moves in rates markets where central bank easing expectations for 2024 seem to be uh, taken out at a rapid clip, clip these days uh, amid uh, higher for longer as the, uh, as the mantra. Uh, while the long end of yield curves are flying as uh, term premium are repricing. So plenty of action in rates and FX. So James, Pat, welcome. Plenty to discuss on this podcast. Hi, Pat. Let's start uh, with you with the FOMC. Uh, the market was obviously surprised by uh, the 2024 and 2025 dots moving higher. Uh, but given how much uh, these 2024 cuts have already been depriced, do you feel like uh, we learned anything incrementally useful from the FOMC as far as the uh, forward view on FX is concerned? Hey, thanks, Rimna. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think we got some forward-looking content. Um, you know, for me, it was obviously never really the case that markets were thinking we could have like another 50 to 100 basis points higher in terminal, uh, you know, by the end of the profile. That was never really kind of the discussion. The question was really, what is the length of the pause? What is the durability of the Fed to kind of continue to hold rates, um, you know, at these high levels? In other words, you know, how much easing could be delivered in kind of like a near-termish, you know, or a, you know, a time frame over the next one to two years? Everything I think about this decision, to me, suggests that the Fed the Fed is going to have a hard time, you know, easing anytime soon. So, you know, obviously the dots were catchy. Um, but if you really kind of dig into the, what the SEP was telling you, I mean, I really think the Fed is is kind of constrained. Um, so obviously there was some pretty decent growth, you know, up, um, upper growth revisions. For me, the thing that really stood out, though, was the unemployment rate, um, kind of the peak unemployment rate. They had been forecasting was four and a half. That's been taken down to four one. That's just one tick above four uh, percent, which is their Nehru estimate. So basically saying tight labor markets for longer. And then in the context of upgraded labor markets and upgraded growth you know, profile, um, it's very notable to me as well that they took up the inflation forecast in the out years of 2025. Um, so basically not returning to target on headline or core uh, until 2026, um, which is you know, a rather long, long time away from here. So in that sense, it makes sense to me that the kind of dispersion, the concentration of the dots for next year uh, is actually a fair degree narrower uh, than it had been in June. Um, you know, so what does this all mean? Um, it means that even though, you know, market may not be dramatically rethinking kind of what the OIS currently points to at the end of 24, which I should add is still 40 to 50 basis points below the new dot, new median dot that they just raised. Um, but the reality is that I think they're just going to, the market's going to have a really hard time pricing in any easing anytime soon. So that is ultimately dollar positive. Of course, the dollar has been benefited by the tailwind of, 
you know, the last two months of rates repricing that we've had, um, a lot of rethink around that 24 dot. Um, but I think really when you think about this Fed high for very long kind of profile and the SCP evidence that supports that, and you juxtapose that against some of the developments we've had elsewhere in the world, you know, in the last couple of weeks with the ECB, you know, the dovish hike, the BOE surprise. I mean, the first derivative of those rates changes are obviously dollar positive because they are substantially more dovish than what the Fed has given us this week. Um, and so even if you're not significantly repricing, you know, the end of next year higher, end of, you know, the Fed terminal rate higher from here, it doesn't mean it's not dollar supportive. And so I think what the Fed gave us in terms of the SEP and the dots and in the context of the other central bank decisions that we've had um, over the last couple of weeks, I, I still think personally that this is a very strong rates-driven dollar-positive environment. So, um, yeah, I think it was quite a constructive outcome with plenty of forward-looking uh, content to kind of digest and, and kind of lean on for the dollar side. Um, but maybe I'll pass it back to you, Arindam. Um, You know, given what we've had the last couple of weeks, I mean, what's your broader sense of, you know, what the dollar is doing right now. Obviously, U.S. exceptionalism has been in vogue for a while now, both you know growth rates, um, et cetera. Do you think some of that narrative is becoming stale, um, or do you think there's still a little bit, a little bit of juice left to squeeze uh, in this conversation for the dollar? Uh, no, I think I think the trend is still very much intact. You can make uh, certain tactical observations around. Uh, potentially an event or a data vacuum coming up in the next couple of weeks. Um, I want to really ask you about uh, the threat of this government shutdown. Does it take some wind out of the dollar sales, at least on a tactical basis? Uh, but uh, you know, by and large, even though you may be approaching something uh, looking like an exhaustion point on front-end uh, dollar rate repricing, as you said, I think the relative stories are still very much intact. And one uh, risk that I'm focused on is uh, what does this do, the long end of curves? How far does the uh, term premium repricing in long yields run? How does that intersect with uh, the, the rise in oil prices that we are seeing? And, and really, uh, you know, this is a bit of an unprecedented environment for uh, long end yields globally. And, uh, you know, does that spill over onto the broader risk complex? As we know, as our equity colleagues have been flagging, uh, P multiples in some of these equity markets, especially the US, is looking increasingly disconnected from this rising cost of capital. You know, what looks like, um, you know, so far being an orderly uh, right hand side of the dollar smile kind of dynamic, does it morph into a little more disruptive uh, risk of typical uh, flight to quality like uh, dollar strength? That's what I'm focused on. And so long as that risk is closer than what we've had so far. I don't think you can write off this this uptrend in the dollar at all. But maybe if I can just take one minute of your time to uh, ask you about the latest on this government shutdown story, uh, still journeying for the dollar? Yeah, I think so. So in terms of the actual on-the-ground developments, um, we were thinking maybe we'd get a, a bill uh, for a vote on the, on the House floor this week. That didn't happen. So I think the bottom line is that it seems increasingly likely um, after the last couple of days that we are going to get a shutdown um, the end of this month. Um, you know, for the dollar, yeah, I think at the, at the end of the day, it doesn't have a major cyclical impact historically. And there are, there's also evidence for, um, you know, some of the, some of the, um, you know, lower activity that results from shutdowns um, 
ultimately gets paid back once you know the government reopens and operations are restored. Um, so big picture, especially considering that this is not linked with a debt ceiling showdown. Um, I think you know the near term kind of cyclical risks to the dollar are not particularly significant. I think it's fair to say that you know people might um, pare back some positions, but I think in terms of like um, big picture kind of like dollar trends, I don't think it's uh, particularly concerning at this time. Um, there are some interesting wrinkles, though. I mean, certainly there's not a lot of uh, not a lot of certainty along how long this thing could last, and the longer the shutdown lasts, the more concerned I think we get from you know, from the cyclical side and thinking about, um, you know, the idea of the dollar benefiting from U.S. exceptionalism, you know, maybe that starts to weigh more on, on confidence uh, and things like that. Um, and then and just kind of an interesting idiosyncrasy is that depending on the nature of the shutdown, it might actually delay uh, certain important data releases that we're all obviously hanging our hats on. Um, so in theory, I think back in 2013, uh, you know, non-farm payrolls was delayed by a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken. So um, that could add a little bit to the uncertainty. It could add, in theory, a little bit to the idea that, you know, there's just less visibility on what the U.S. is doing. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's a little bit of a, uh, a slowdown or a tempering in the kind of the U.S. exceptionalism narrative. Again, ultimately, so long as this is resolved in a fairly orderly and, and quick fashion, I don't think it's that big of an issue. Um, so the question is really kind of like how long this lasts and how long that kind of potentially spills over. Got it. Got it. James, uh, so bringing you into the conversation uh, away from the FOMC, obviously a, a big week for European Central Bank meetings. Um, what are your overall takeaways uh, for the European set of currencies? Um, do you think any of those meetings particularly surprised you? Anything that was game changing in your view? Thanks, Arindam. Yeah, we have uh, obviously had uh, a range of European Central Bank meetings uh, this week. Um, I'd say um, none were, were major game changers, but obviously some uh, notable surprises. So starting with uh, the Bank of England, obviously left rates unchanged, which is a clear negative for sterling, um, given, given the uh, consensus and pricing going into the meeting. Um, guidance did maintain the tightening bias, but there were some interesting dovish elements to the statement. Um, so just comments around the alternative measures of wage growth. And uh, obviously there was there was a nod to, to weaker growth. And when we did get weaker PMI data uh, for September today in the UK, um, commentary on the labor market was... Um, you know, still still cites the, the picture as, as tight, really, overall. Um, so there is maybe some room there going forward if, if the labor market weakness were to were to extend uh, for, for the BOE to acknowledge that. Uh, vote obviously was was quite close at 5-4, uh, but Cunliffe obviously leaving the committee. Uh, it's a high bar for future hikes now, we think, and uh, our UK economist has changed his view to, to on hold for this year and next. Uh, we're still holding on to that uh, bearish sterling view. Um, we can see euro sterling lagging rate spreads, um, but uh, the, uh, the the pair where we have a, a more bearish bias is, is sterling versus dollar. Um, and we, we did publish a note uh, the day before the, the Bank of England meeting, just uh, increasing the, the bearish bias and the conviction in, in the bearish sterling view. Uh, you've got a, a range of things coming together now for, for, for sterling. 
um, on the positioning front, uh, the growth front, the labour market, um, UK productivity, obviously at the big picture level, still uh, materially underperforming peers. Uh, elsewhere, you had the Rix Bank hiking 25 basis points as expected, uh, but we, we'd characterise it more of a, of a dovish as a dovish hike with uh, the terminal rate lifting just five basis points. So, not exactly inspiring for the tightening cycle. Uh, but the, the the bigger reaction in stock came from the announcement of the reserve hedging program, which was a bit a bit faster than expected. Um, but just the back of the envelope calculations we're doing. Uh, Rick's Bank are going to be a small fraction of daily market volume here in terms of the the transactions as part of the uh, the reserves hedging program. Um, shouldn't be uh, major new news for the market though, because obviously the, the details were announced in in June in terms of the total size of the program. Um, Rick's Bank did communicate that they can be flexible with purchases, but we think the probability of them meaningfully deviating from that steady pace is is pretty low, given that the stated guidance is that it's not a monetary policy tool, and that they do have to report uh, with a lag what what they do uh, with the purchases on this program. Um, so we're still short stocky, uh, driven by the relative growth outlook, uh, potential for further labour market weakness, and uh, and housing market tail risks. Norges Bank next, uh, so they did hike uh, twenty five basis points as expected. Uh, but delivered a, a pretty hawkish rate path uh, with the terminal moving up to 4.44 above both our ex economist expectations and market pricing, although it was drag dragged slightly further out to, to, to Q1. Uh, pretty hawkish guidance in, in the statement as well. So um, the governor is saying that one additional hike in, in December, but also there's likely going to be a need for, to maintain a, t a tight stance for some time ahead, which is aligning somewhat with the higher for longer theme discussed by other central banks. So that still uh, plays to our bullish knocky bias. And then just lastly, the uh, the SMB left uh, rates unchanged. Uh, so that obviously uh, more of a surprise um, versus both our expectations and the street. Uh, the market did go into it with with less than 20 basis points price, though. So there was some some risk in there for 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 unchanged. Uh, but the statement guidance around FX intervention was was largely the same. But in the press conference, Jordan's prepared remarks did um, suggest that the central banks prepared to to wait for the lag effects of of tighter rate and FX policy to work through before before access, assessing the next steps. So that that is a a bit of a dovish shift. So the Swiss longs that we have obviously challenged by the surprise move there from the SMB, but we are skeptical of of any major shift in the FX intervention policy until we see uh, data within the site deposits or the balance sheet data that, that suggests that because you you do obviously still have trading partner inflation high, the oil price rallying, uh, which which is, is going to keep keep them wary, we think. Um, although Jordan in the press conference did somewhat play down um, the oil price rally. Um, you do still have, of course, though, in, in terms of the flow picture, a strong balance of payments, um, which, you know, even if intervention were to moderate, um, the overall flow picture is still pretty positive since you've got a very strong balance of payments. And obviously, with the weak European PMI data today, um, that does support safe haven flows into Swiss. So, um, again, we're watchful to, in, on the intervention data to see how that evolves. That's all in terms of the uh, the roundup of uh, the European meetings uh, this week for the central banks.
So turning to you, Arindam, um, you also obviously had a, a keenly watched BOJ meeting earlier today. Uh, what did we learn from that, uh, if anything, and, and what are the implications for, for the Yen view here? Hey, James, yes. Uh, so I think uh, we learned something, uh, you know, progress in Japan uh, is, is slow. Uh, and uh, uh, I guess uh, the fact that the governor did not uh, uh, explicitly push back against the interview that he gave to the press two weekends ago, uh, that showed us that uh, he's trying to shepherd the market out of this YCC nerd framework in an orderly fashion. Obviously, the bar for exiting negative rates is quite a bit higher than than YCC. Uh, but you know, today's meeting cannot be characterized as hawkish by any stretch. So, in a medium-term sense, the BOJ is still kind of what are Tokyo strategists dub "quote unquote" an inactive central bank in the face of rising inflation expectations. I.e., there is no sign that, uh, on a medium-term basis, the yen's real support is creeping higher. Right. So that preserves a bearish yen bias. Uh, but on a more tactical level, I guess, with the market already running with uh, a reasonable amount of short in orientation, and uh, given that uh, you have uh, a meeting coming up in October where the house call is for forward guidance to be adjusted, um, basically the dovish forward guidance to be dropped, um, and also given this persistent uh, noise around intervention around this supposed 150 level in dollar yen, it doesn't feel like the right risk reward um, to be having a tactical, constructive dolly in view. So we are again bears over the medium term, but the right here and right now, we prefer to sit on the sidelines. So with that, we come to the end of this podcast. Uh, thanks very much for listening in. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan research reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan, Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on September 22nd, 2023.